0: Hello, friends. Greg Kokel here. Stand a Reason is the show, and I am your host, but I am joined by my co-host for the day, Robbie Lashawa, who is our uh, most recent addition to our team here, and uh, had a great hour with you last yeah. hour, Robbie. That was fun. It
1: was great being with you.
0: Yeah, thank you. And uh, and we got a weird situation. We had no callers for this hour, so uh, maybe I'll just give a shout-out here. Some people may be listening Uh, like virtual, and so um, they can call this number if they like. And for the rest of you, this is the number to call when we're live, which is Tuesdays 4 to 6. Yep. Tuesdays Uh, 4 to 6. uh, L.A. time. Now, the reason I pause here is I spent so many years um, with, you know, with a different phone number when I was, we were at uh, our flagship station at KBRT here in Southern Cal, and, uh, and I was doing three to six, and you know it's just crazy. And so I now I, I got to pause. I don't have this vocal muscle memory <laughs> with regards to this uh, our our time, which aren't new anymore. But I'm um, just like uh, teaching an old dog new tricks. Okay, so I still got to pause it out. So on Tuesdays from four to six, Los Angeles time, you can dial 855-243-9975. That's local. That's U.S. local eight five five. Two four three nine nine seven five. If you're calling from outside the U.S., um, uh, the number is 562. You dial the International 1 for us. That's our code. 562 uh, 424 562 area code and i think um we had a couple of callers from australia last week or the week before uh something like that so it's been uh it's it's people call once i had robbie i had calls from four different continents really one show yeah so that's that's uh (laughs) you can get
1: all seven that'd be phenomenal yeah
0: like we'll we'll get the penguins one
1: show yeah Yeah, Yeah.
0: that is the one continent that i have not spoken on and nobody's invited me to antarctica Mm. and there's uh and i I don't understand why. I don't either. Yeah, yeah, it's just, uh, all right. I mean, this is like the Frozen Chosen, you right? Small, out there.
1: intimate audience. That's yeah.
0: right. That's right. Uh, so uh, I had a uh, kind of a follow up thought. Uh, this is regarding the conversation we had last hour, where our last caller asked about um, th- what appears to be the uh, upcoming decision by SCOTUS, the Supreme Court of the United States. Uh, Regarding uh, the abortion issue and what it appears to be based on the leak from Politico of uh, Justice Alito's draft, and he's putting together a draft of a statement. It looks like he's got five signatories already one, two, three, four. Uh, Who am I missing here? I got Alito, I got Kavanaugh, I got Barrett, I've got Thomas. Uh, There's one more. Not Roberts is not on board yet, which doesn't surprise me, but maybe peer pressure will get to him. Uh, In any event, uh, and he's supposed to be conservative. Anyway, I'm not going to go there. But it looks like they have a majority. Um, If this is their decision, they have enough people to pass this and basically it effectively strike down row and throw it back to the states and now it becomes a whole different kind of issue and as i said at uh, in my conversation last hour i think uh, this is restoring integrity to the constitution Um, There might be all kinds of things that I think are wrong and ought to be outlawed, but that doesn't mean that I can insert them in the U.S. Constitution uh, and then justify my either allowing them or disallowing them based on something the Constitution does not say. And um, I've made this distinction before. Um, but it, I think people need to be reminded of it, Robbie. And that is, when we talk about conservative justices, we are not talking about conservative justices the way other people talk about liberal justices. Uh, what they mean by liberal justices is justices that believe that the the Constitution is a living document, mm-hmm. okay, and... Um, and it means different things at different times that's what they think living means and in my mind the, the only thing that's living about that approach is the imagination of the jurists <laughs> you know uh, they imagine all kinds of stuff that weren't part of the intention of the founders and this is uh, and what they end up doing is de facto um uh, uh modifying the Constitution with just five members instead of going through the amendment process that the Constitution itself requires, which is really, really hard to do, two-thirds of the states or, you know, whatever, all that stuff they got to do. It's hard to amend the Constitution, but on the living Constitution idea, all you need is five people in black robes, and then it's done, you know, and that's not right, okay? They modify it. So, a con- but a conservative is not somebody who is using the Constitution in that way. When I say to conservative, I mean a judicial conservative. They are not using the con- the Constitution uh, in that way, molding it as activist judges according to conservative politics. We're not trying to get politically conservative people on the on the bench. You could have people who believe all kinds of. Liberal leftist kinds of notions, but if they, but who understand that it is the Congress that has the responsibility for adjudicating and not adjudicating but passing laws regarding those things and not the bench, and the bench 's responsibility is to clarify what the Constitution allows um, and and so this is what I mean by conservative justice, you know. Yeah a justice that has a conservative view of the Constitution and lets the Constitution speak for itself. And I think this is what's going on here. But here's another concern I have, Robbie. I'm interested in your point point of view, or maybe you haven't reflected on it. I'm just beginning to because this is all fresh stuff. I guess my hope is that if Roe is overturned, that there are not massive pro-life rallies celebrating it, Now I could be mistaken on this. It's certainly worth celebrating. Yes. Okay. Because of the gravity of the issue, but I, I, I guess I feel like you know, I, uh, I'm thinking of a football coach who said, "Look, if you make a good play and you cross the uh, the, the you, you make a touchdown. Okay, act like you've been there before. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Don't start doing flips and dancing around, pointing at yourself, and you know, like, man, look at me." And I kind of and again I'm not worked through this at all Robbie and I'm interested in your perspective but i um i i um and I'd certainly understand if there was big celebrations okay but at the same time i i I guess um, that I, I don't want our side to gloat in a victory that's what I'm concerned with let's just say okay good now we're back to judicial normality on this issue, now we move forward. we got another job to do, states, let's focus on that. But we're not going to, in a certain sense, rejoice, and again, I could be mistaken here, but rejoice in in, in our, our fallen foes
2: mm-hmm.
0: kind of thing. Um, but of course, the foe here, if one thinks about it, is an ideology that kills babies, and maybe it's good to re- rejoice. I don't know. So anyway, I have some concerns about that, There it is, half-baked. What do you think, Robbie?
1: Well, I think it really goes back to what is the goal of the pro-life movement. And there's actually two objectives. One is to make abortion illegal, which that's a good goal. But that's not the only goal. The other goal is to make abortion unthinkable. Mm. And that's not going to happen overnight. That's not going to happen just by a law being changed. Mm -hmm. And so this is a great step in the right direction. But we still have work to do, like you said, in helping people see why... Even if this was legal, it's still atrocious. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's one of the things that as Christians, we need to be prepared mm-hmm. to communicate and to exemplify. Mm-hmm. Because I, I, I feel the same way as you do. No, sorry. Let me rephrase that. I think the same thing that you think. <laughs> I don't you. care how I feel. Good distinction. Right?
0: Because that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> no.
1: Right I, and I, I, our society is full of people who believe that if something is legally permissible then it's morally permissible. Right, right. And by celebrating a law we could give the impression that we think the government creates mor- morality. Yeah. Which I don't think we want to give that impression yeah. either. So we have to, we do have to be careful in what we do. But is this a step in the right direction?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Absolutely.
1: W- one other thought I had about it was that um so, so I'm obviously a Phoenix Suns fan, and they're doing great right now, and it's amazing. Mm-hmm. But their coach Monty Williams, he always tells them, "Don't get happy on the farm." And what he means by that is, there's always more work to do. Yeah, <laughs> right. You, right. Can be, you can't get happy about what you did yesterday because tomorrow morning you got to get <laughs> you gotta up gotta and you milk, get to work, milk the cows again. Yeah, that's and, a good point. And I think that can apply to us in this. There is now work to do because we need to show that we are pro-life. In you know, like we talked about last hour, more adoptions coming up. Mm-hmm. We need to show that we want to help out those in need who who now think, Well, what am I gonna do with this kid and price this pregnancy pregnancies and giving of money and giving of time and giving of counsel. Mm-hmm. And so we need to really say now's the time, like you said, to get to work mm-hmm. on our our pro-life stance and communicating that to our culture.
0: Well, that's vital. And especially since there's been a little turn in the rhetoric and, and this whole movement coming from the l- left side of things has gone through all kinds of shifts in rhetoric. Um, and maybe you recall early on. Uh, or maybe you don 't maybe you 're not old enough I was twenty three in one thousand nine hundred and seventy three so mm-hmm. but the thrust then, and I had just become a Christian, but the thrust then was um, this is my right. I am going to celebrate my my right, and it was almost like a joke, but it, there was a, an edge of truth to it. I want to get pregnant so I can exercise my right to have an abortion oh. because I am a woman, and I have my rights and this and so there was this celebratory. Approach, okay. Uh, we have this latitude and liberty, so we're going to exercise it. Well, then it began to shift, and it, and the the shift was, the women are not taking who get abortions are not taking this thing lightly, which is the way they characterized it earlier, um, as just kind of a raw display of their their rights but now they labor over the decision and it's hard for them and by the way i think that's true i mm-hmm. think they i think the ones that were celebrating that was the rhetoric but i don't think that was most people who got abortion i think that it was anguish for them and and they suffered emotionally from having an abortion and then uh, but so then this became front and center it's not the it's not the celebration of the right it's the agony we go through to determine whether or not we should take, we should terminate our uh, our pregnancy. Uh, of course, they never say take the life of our child. It's mm-hmm. always a child when they want it, and it's not—it's nameless and not yeah. a child when they don't. It's just a rhetorical move. Um, so it almost as if the the level of anguish that people feel and finally decide to get uh, an abortion somehow sanitizes the act itself, justifies the abortion. Okay, now we've got a new move. And there are probably other nuances as time went on. But now the issue is it's called reproductive justice. Hmm. Reproductive justice. Just an observation. And I don't know if I thought this up or if I heard Dennis Prager say it or somebody else, but I'm just going to toss it out. Whenever you add any adjective to the word justice, you corrupt it. I mean, that's the trend. Hmm. When you add an adjective, so you've got, you got sexual justice, you've got uh, uh, social justice, you've got, you know, gender justice, now you've got reproductive justice. And every one of these turns out to be a distortion of genuine justice, uh, John Noyce is doing a course right now for STRU. Mm-hmm. And I've seen a bit of the script, and he's talking about about justice. what is true justice, what is social justice as compared to true justice? what does biblical justice require and uh, and and, and, the, and when not adjective justice, just plain old, ordinary, everyday, virtuous justice what does that require here and it turns out that many of these modified types of justice turn out to be injustice <laughs> in disguise yeah. you just just uh, decorated up with these these new words so uh anyway uh just a uh another thought on that that whole thing we'll we've got a um we've got a rhetorical battle that we're fighting now and we are all, it seems like we're always trying to uh uh, what's the disarm the clever rhetorical turns that the left makes on lots and lots of different issues.
1: Um, yeah. Well, and that's because we live in a culture that believes words create reality Oh, yeah. <laughs> to, a, to an extent. And so we have to do that to combat mm-hmm. this, this view.
0: Well, you know, Proverbs says life and death lie in the power of the tongue. And uh, I don't think that the writer of Proverbs means what a lot of word faith people mean. Mm that this creates reality in some fashion, or you confess this. But just the power of the tongue and the use of words has a powerful impact on people's lives. Uh, Some wag once said, when words lose their meanings, then people lose their lives.
1: Mm, That's powerful.
0: Yeah, and that's especially true with regards to abortion. All of the abortion rhetoric that has sanitized an ugly thing has persuaded people to act in a way in which other innocent human beings lose their lives. So, uh, any other thoughts? You want to go to a call? Yeah, let's go to a call. All right. Let's see. Uh, and actually, this one's for you, Leland in Glendale, Arizona. Oh, amen! The greatest we... state in the nation. <laughs> oh well, isn't Glendale a sort of? Um, hey, uh, welcome to the show, Leland. And isn't uh, Leland? Isn't Glendale kind of proximal to um, Phoenix area?
2: Yes, it is.
0: Ah, it is. It's right it, by it. What area? So, I mean, north, south, east, or west?
2: Uh, sort of northwest.
1: Oh, because because uh, uh, Robbie you know, lives it, west. Yeah, I live I live in the west side too. I I live like ten minutes from Glendale. So oh,
2: yeah. Where do you? I live down in uh, uh Goodyear. Oh, that's great. I've yeah, I mean,
1: out, I'm in Litchfield Park, so we're right next to each other.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, I drive up. I'm on Litchfield now. I'm driving back from work. I work on Luke Air Force Base. Oh great, yeah. So, yeah. Well, Leila, anyway, what's on your mind?
1: Uh, I
0: know you want to get more information on what, uh, about Outposts, and so yeah, we got the right man yeah, for well, that.
2: Well, um, yeah, but first of all, I'd just like to say congratulations on um, you know, 29 years of really awesome ministry. Oh. Uh, I think I probably started listening to you right about the time you started to Stand to Reason. In fact, Wow. Was Dan The Reason originally called the Areopagus?
0: No, um, but but you're on to something there. See, I started radio in 1990, and it was commercial radio work for the Crawford Network on KBRT here in Southern California. Yeah. And so I had a show that started out standard news talk, where you just talk about a news item every other hour. I did three hours Saturday, three hours Sunday. Um yep I remember. And, and so uh, so then about two years in i didn't I, I actually didn't like the news talk format I, I, and I and I was thinking about just getting out of radio and then they had me uh they asked me to come in. To do a show for somebody else who was not uh, available, you know, we, we need somebody to come. And I said, okay, I'll come in, but you let me do the show the way I want to do it. Okay, right. And so then I did the show, and I did the format I'm doing now. I start with commentary, and then I open it up for Q and A, and people would just flood the flood the uh, the the lines with calls, asking questions about the things that concern them as Christians or challenges. From non Christians, and uh, that I adopted that format from then out. But then the question is, what should I call the show? And it was originally called Talk from the Heart because I was replacing, um, along with some others, uh, Rich Bueller, who was a huge. A uh, famous, well-known talk show host in Southern California. He's gone with the Lord now, but uh, Rich had the uh, drive time during the week, and then uh, I was doing that segment on the weekend, three to six. So it was six hours a week I was doing radio, and so we just adopted his name. But I realized, or his uh, the moniker, or whatever the name for the show. And then I decided, you know, that this isn't talk from the heart. I mean, it's he did one thing, I do something else. So we were. We were first. We called it the show with no name, and then we <laughs> called it the the Areopagus, which a lot of people didn't know what that was, and we just bounced around with different things. Oh, well, we
2: couldn't spell it.
0: Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and then, <laughs> uh, which is, by the way, an important idea. We have, you know, if you're going to start an organization or some enterprise, you got to use something people can pronounce. They can spell and they know what it means, or else this is not, (laughs) this is very difficult to brand uh, otherwise. So uh, then, when Stand to Reason started in 1993, that's when I went back to the suits there at Crawford and I said, I want to call this show Stand to Reason which is the same name as our organization, but it's just a way of tying those two things together so that we can get, uh, we one could feed the other. So it was mutually beneficial. And they agreed to that, and it's been standard Reason ever since.
2: Yeah, I must have gotten in, uh, well, I think I did get in on your show right when you were calling it the Areopics. It's yeah, very, well, that was before, before.
0: Stand to Reason. So you're 30, you're 30 years on board <laughs> plus, brother. Wow. <laughs> yeah,
2: and you know what? Uh you must be old. I was uh, I am old. Not as old as you, but still. <laughs> well, you don't. Look,
0: um, you don't look that old.
2: But, well, well, yeah, but I mean, I'm younger than you, but I haven't taken very good care of myself, so you know.
0: Okay. Anyway, now, uh, all that means is you're going to heaven before I do. That's right. It's one way of looking um, at it, I guess. Yeah. It's <laughs> like those two guys in oh. heaven said, "Man, if we hadn't eaten all that health food, we'd have been up here a lot sooner."
2: <laughs> that's right. No, well, um I, 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 I just want I told you before, but I mean, I just wanted you to know that uh, when I moved to Southern California, and, and this was in uh, 1991, and it was not too long after that when I started listening to you, but uh, uh, I was not really a Christian. I thought I was. I was becoming one, and I started becoming one, and then I discovered your show, and of course, I got up to speed real, real quick, because I just listened to it religiously, mm. and then... You started doing your master's series of Christian thought.
0: Oh, yeah, uh, at Hope Chapel in hermosa Beach, sure.
2: Yeah, I was the guy that—I uh, was driving in from Ontario, so I was always getting off work, you know, and then rushing through traffic to get there, yeah. and I was the guy that came busting in five to ten minutes late, you know, mm-hmm. all frantic and everything, but—
0: uh, Yeah, I remember uh, you. It was quite a mess.
2: Yeah. No, just joking. <laughs> but it was—you were just—you uh, and the, a lot of the people that you were talking about when you were Discussing um, the uh, third column, right? Uh, with and uh, a slew of others, uh, most of whom I uh, uh, got, you know, found out about going to your master series lectures. Uh, but but you and them were just a, a huge part of my coming of age as a Christian, wow. you know, late in life, you know, mm-hmm. in my mid thirties. And uh, it's just you know great that you're still you're still at it.
3: But well,
0: anyway. I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. Thank you. And by the way, just to clarify, because I've used the phrase third column, I wrote a piece about this in Solid Ground, uh, oh, eight, ten years ago, and the idea is that when I first became a Christian in 1973, there were very few apologists. Uh, there was yep. Norm Geisler, there was uh, Josh McDowell, there's John Warwick Montgomery, who I mentioned uh, recently, There's uh Francis Schaeffer, and uh, Norm Geisler, I said that, and then, then there was... That, that there was maybe one more. Oh, oh, Walter Martin. So you have five yeah. people that were doing, and they each had a little different emphasis. C.S. Lewis, obviously his writings were around, but he was he was a Brit. But these were American people, and I call that the first column, okay? But those guys trained a whole bunch of other people, uh, either directly or indirectly. And I was one of them, and Bill Craig was another one, and J.P. Moreland was another one, and a whole bunch of people that uh, uh, that have... Uh, significant visibility for the last 20 years, either with organizations or as writers themselves, and I count these as the second column, okay? A lot more in the second column than in the first column, obviously. We are, the, in a certain sense, the children of those five. And Josh is still in play, so is John Montgomery, and we just lost Norm Geisler last year. Schaefer went out in the 80s, and so did uh, Walter Martin, but uh, their legacy continues to live on. Training others. But now we're in a position, a whole bunch more people that learn from them in the second column, to make a difference in other people's lives. And I count the third column then to be this multitude, this this massive multitude of people that have benefited from the first and the second columns, and now are making a difference in their local community. Their names are not on books. They're not going to be teaching at big events their 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 uh, their names are not going to be in the marquee anywhere, but they are faithfully uh, making a difference in the local community with their boots in the ground uh, long term efforts for christ and this is kind of the way we view um, the uh, The the, The the outpost, outpost strategy. (laughs) (laughs) Robbie can see me digging around. What's that (laughs) word? You know. So the outpost. I'm going to write it down, really big, right here on my notepad. (laughs) Outposts. Okay. I've been thinking about it for 30 years, and I still can't say it. Uh, That's kind of outposts are third column enterprises. So uh, anyway, you had a question about the outpost that you wanted to bring to Robbie
2: yeah i just uh wanted to, you know, i'm gonna bring this up with my uh uh church leadership and I just wanted to know is there uh anything in addition to you know what you've already mentioned earlier uh about what the uh you would expect from the church to become uh one of your outposts uh so that i could uh mention that to them and uh, see if I can get them interested in this.
1: Sure. Yeah. So one of the things is going to be, because um, uh, I was a pastor for a long time, and I know how many different organizations are trying to get you to run their programs at your church. Um, we're going to be completely free, which is helpful uh, to a church because we really yeah. want to come alongside the church and, and help them Shepherd their people well. And so it's going to be free. That's just always a nice thing to know as a pastor. Um, the other thing is, is we're, we're really asking the church to provide a, a place to meet and a time to meet and to promote it in the church. That's, that's the ask so promotion place to meet and a time to meet um, the directors you know they don't have to be on staff at a church they can be anybody like you yourself can can run an outpost but there is going to be the application process that comes out in mid-july that everyone's gonna have to work through and, and be accepted after they go through the application mm-hmm. process
0: yeah by the way I would think it it's better if the outpost leader is not on the staff because as you know Robbie being of staff yourself staffers already got a full job description yeah and what we're trying Trying to do is offer something to the local church without offering another burden, mm-hmm. another project or something that they have to oversee, uh, but rather offer a project that will develop a group of people in their local community that can serve without a bad attitude and a lot of their nose in the air or anything like that, but actually be be servants to the local body. In fact, I think J- in J.P. Moreland's book, mm-hmm. uh, Loving God With All of Your Mind, he has a chapter on doing that kind of thing. I don't know if you've ever read that book. Oh, but... I,
1: I try to read that book every year. Yeah. That's one of no, the best. Seriously? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. okay,
0: well, good. You, you read it more than I do then. But <laughs> but I know he's got a um, he's got a chapter talking about doing this kind of thing, and the part that I remember that he emphasized is attitude. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're here to serve. We're not here to act like we're better than everybody else. we got something you don't have. Well, we may have that, but we want to give it away in a gracious way that will help the rest of our church community. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't know. Does that help you in terms of um, answer?
2: It does. It, it, uh, uh, right now, uh, we, we've just got officially. We, we just organized as an official congregation. Oh, I see. So this is At a new.
0: This is a church plant that you're involved with. Is that right?
2: Uh, sort of. It's just uh, a retired pastor that's having church in his home now, and we're. Right now, we are just starting to look for uh, a location more central to the, the Phoenix Valley, mm-hmm. uh, Valley of Sun as they call it, and uh, so that's not in someone's home. So, uh, I mean, is this is this program suitable for like a, a extremely small? Oh, absolutely! Like that, or?
1: Yeah, that's such a great question. It's it's definitely like because we're thinking like we've had churches. Contact us who want to run it, you know, and they're going to have 200 people in a class, you know, and they have these huge Sunday schools. And then I was contacted by a lady up in Alaska who said there's 10 people in her community that meet together for church and they want to host one, too. It will be compatible for whatever size group that you have. Mm -hmm. Uh, Additionally, I'm going to be making a promo packet uh, of videos, small, you know, short promotional videos that are specifically geared towards the leadership at your local church that will be for you to say, hey, this is what this is all about and and give to them to promote these because I, I want to really share our heart with pastors mm-hmm. at the churches that we're going to be at. You know, Leland, okay. have, have you read the, uh do you have
0: a copy of the tactics book? I do okay. In the last got chapter, a copy the new one too. Okay, good for you. Um, in the last chapter titled "More Sweat, Less Blood," um, there is a um, a section that's titled "Dry Tinder." I think that's a subheading, and that talks about how do you get. And this is unrelated at the time, to the concept of outposts. But uh, it certainly applies to this. How do you get other people? I had the question last week in uh, in the Detroit area. How do you get other people interested in your church when it doesn't seem like there is anybody in your church? And I said, well, I, I guarantee you there are other people that are interested in this. It's just hard to find. And if you want to start a fire, you can't start with wet wood. You have to start with the dry tinder. And once you get the tinder going, yeah. sometimes you can thaw out or dry out the rest of the wood and, and build a larger fire. So look for people of kindred spirit and make common cause with them. And that's the point there. You might just read it uh, when you have a moment. Uh, page or two. Um, that's the point of of the concept of starting with dry tinder. But you know what your uh, your um, question raises another question for me of Robbie, and I'd like to hear his thoughts. What uh, Robbie? What if what if it turns out that the leadership is not interested in um, in a certain sense domiciling? In their church, with their facility, a a, a stand to reason outpost. What what other what are the other alternatives for someone to begin a group that is called an SDR outpost? When, at the moment, the local church is not interested in uh in, um you know pursuing hosting that hosting one. Yeah. Yes,
1: so we're not married to the idea that it has to meet in a church or mm-hmm. in a you know a house church like in in your case, Leland. Um, we're okay with it meeting in, you know, a college campus or in a home, but we really primarily want this to be a tool for the local church. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of different uh, apologetics groups that already meet in people's homes as book clubs, you know, once a month, and, and that's that's really great. But we're trying to do this within the local church because we want to help people become confident in their faith and then go out mm-hmm. and defend their faith well in the public sphere so it it might
0: be in some cases, where the church says this we 're not into that, in mm-hmm. fact, as you know, Robbie, there are some pastors that just think apologetics is a bad idea, yeah and, yeah. Uh, yeah. and so and we 've we 've done some work addressing that question um, but um there is an option then for people not associated with local church that can do something as it were on their own um, and and get their dry tender people of kindred spirit uh, and that that can happen in that way. What I'm hoping, and I know you are probably too, Robbie, is that if that's the case for you, that you're able to build some critical mass and represent yourself to the church in a way that they start thinking, hey, well, this is kind of cool. We want to kind of own this as part of our community because we realize what you're doing is really good. Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe they don't give you a, a facility for it. Maybe, like, a lot of churches are strapped for space, and you may still end up meeting at a home or something like that, but it would be it's always you know better for our purposes long term is if you can uh, can get the nod and the support from the church that you you're you're a part of, so that would be ideal, well, it, but it's it would, not necessary
2: I think it would be great too you know especially getting in on the ground floor here just to, to grow a church that is geared toward you know apologetics and outreach and uh you know, witnessing. Mm-hmm. So uh, that would be great. So I guess I should just uh, first step would be to uh, email you at uh, robbie at str.org, right? Yeah,
1: email me and I'll put you on the list of the 50 plus other churches and individuals who are interested. And then you will be the first to know about when and how to apply. And we'll give you, you know, a promotion pack, which has the videos in it for pastors, which also has, you know, all the social media things that you need, everything that you're going to need to get started on this for the fall. Mm-hmm. So, by okay, the way, that, just note this, Leland, right. I mean, getting getting your name in
0: gets you in the queue, and that means then you will be contacted with material that then you can apply and jump through the hoops that Robbie's put together. It's not going to be that burdensome. There's not a lot of red tape, but there are some things that are going to be important to, to foundational things. So that's the way that's going to work.
2: Okay, I guess in the meantime, uh, when I approach my pastor, I'll, I'll uh... Refer back to maybe this podcast, and I think uh, I saw another one online while I was listening to you earlier that uh, talked about the uh, outpost.
1: Mm-hmm. That was
0: program. back from January,
2: yeah. Uh, yeah, it was.
0: Yeah, so okay. yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever, whatever ground you can till before the formal process gets rolling, it's, it's going to be better for you.
2: That sounds great. Okay, buddy. Okay, well, uh, thanks again, and like, and. Uh, Looking forward to uh, maybe another 29 years of your ministry. <laughs> all right. Well, uh,
0: I'm not, but I'm glad <laughs> others are, all right, <laughs> because I don't have 29 years left. That would put me in, I uh, would be a centuary, 29 years would be, I'd be over 100 years old. Who knows? God knows. And I suspect he knows I'm not going to make it. So we'll see. <laughs> all right. All right, Lena, all right, good talking to you.
2: God bless.
0: Thank you. Okay, let's take a quick break here. And uh, then we'll come back with more with Robbie Lashua and Greg Kokel, your host, on Stand to Reason. Friends, if you like this broadcast, I know you'll love Hashtag STR Ask. It's our shorter 20-minute podcast where I am paired with the wonderful Amy Hall, and together we answer the questions you send us on Twitter. Hashtag STRask is released twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays, and it's only about 20 minutes long, so it's perfect to listen to on your morning jog or while driving around running errands or cleaning your garage or just plain loafing at home. Amy and I tackle your questions on theology and ethics and culture and lots more, offering our insight on the questions you're asking or the challenges you face. You can listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your own shows. Just remember, send us your questions on Twitter using the name of the podcast, hashtag STRask. That's hashtag STRask.
3: Would you like a Stand to Reason speaker to speak at your church or event? Greg, Alan, Tim, and our newest apologist, John Noyes, are available, both in person and online. Just email booking at str.org to schedule them today. Our speakers can address a wide array of topics from bioethics, gender issues, and science to theology, philosophy, and how to respond to other worldviews, all from a biblical perspective. Whether it's a Sunday sermon, Zoom conference, or YouTube live event, our skilled and engaging speakers can be there, either physically or virtually, with the goal of equipping Christians to effectively influence the culture for Christ. To read their bios and learn more about the topics they cover, visit str.org. Then email booking at str.org to schedule Greg, Alan, Tim, or John today.
0: All right, back at you here. Greg Kokel, Robbie Lashua, uh, for Stand a Reason. You know, Robbie, I don't, uh, a couple weeks ago I was talking a bit about the TV show Chosen. Have you been watching that?
1: You know what? I saw the entire first season and I loved it. And then I just didn't watch the second yet. And I, and I need to, but I, I haven't seen it yet. Well, um, I
0: really liked the first season, too. I'm pausing because I, you know, sp- I realize there might be some spoilers here as we're talking. Well, a about Well, I read the it. book
1: already. Oh, that's right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, see, that might be a problem then. Yeah. Uh, of course, whenever you have any film in the life of Jesus, um, then you're going to have a creative uh, license being taken. And my basic rule. And I've seen lots and lots. I go all the way back to Jeffrey Hunter. Is it Jeffrey Hunter? And uh, uh, the, the the King of Kings. I get some of these early ones mixed up. Jeffrey Hunter, and then there was Max von Sydow. And one was called King of Kings, and one was the greatest story ever told. Mm-hmm. Okay. But the, whichever one was Max von Sydow, who is a Max von Sydow. I mean, he's, I guess that sounds like a German name, but I think he was actually Swedish. Really? Oh. Yeah, so he's got blue eyes. Hmm. Blonde hair, shaved armpits. Was this Jesus? Jesus? Is, oh, this
1: is the person who played Jesus. In the the, film. Yeah,
0: because there were lots of. I thought different you were talking people. about the director. I thought, well, no, what's no, wrong no, with no, being no. a Swedish director? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, and, and so so you get these uh, like a, a very anglicized characterizations of Jesus. Yeah, and uh, and that's like, I mean, back then it didn't seem weird. But now, of course, there's a lot of sensitivity to that, and there's a an appropriate sensitivity to historical accuracy. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jesus was a Semite, so he was Jewish. He looked like a Jewish person. He didn't look like, you know, Max von Sydow no. yeah. or Jeffrey Hunter, for goodness sake, you know. So, um, so then you have more um, you know, more, I think, attempts at realistic characterizations. Well, the one I remember most vividly is the uh, uh, Jesus of Nazareth that was directed by Franco Zeffirelli, I think. Mm. So not a Christian, obviously, but um, I thought, do you remember this? Did you see this? I might have this seen it. This was not back in 1977, I think. I wasn't around yet. You <laughs> not around yet. Well, it's still around, but it had an all-star cast. And uh, Rod Steiger played Pontius Pilate, who, and he was the best Pontius Pilate of anyone I have ever seen. And it had all kinds of other really big, famous people. But the Jesus character was not famous. Now, that guy, I looked him up the other day, so he gave, I think, a magnificent performance. Um, he, you would not recognize him today because he's really, really old. Mm. Um, and he doesn't look like Jesus anymore. But um, I thought there were certain characterizations. I, let me back up. There were characterizations of certain aspects of the Gospels that were brilliantly portrayed by that actor and by the writers and by the director there. Uh, my role on these, uh, Robbie, is uh, the first rule is uh, do no harm. You know, don't do stupid stuff. Yeah, you know, you can. You're gonna have to take some creative license. Of because, course, yeah. sure. I, there's, I think, there's only one movie of Jesus that is strictly Bible verses. Is it the the which one is it? Oh, The I Campus Crusade can... for Christ one. I think it went the all Jesus over the Jesus film. Yeah, Jesus I film. Think is, it that is right, Amy? Yes. Is it the you don't know Jesus film? Isn't that like the Gospel of Luke or something like that?
1: I don't. Or? Yeah, I don't think they took creative license with no. It. It's just, no. Kind of straight through, verse right, by verse.
0: Right, right. So, but that's an evangelism tool that's gone all over the world, mm-hmm. and it's been very effective. But I've actually never seen it. Um, and I thought The Passion of the Christ, I think that—what's um, uh, his name now? The actor. Um, he actually oh, okay. lives in my community. Amy's going to tell me. Yeah, Jim Caviezel. Uh, I actually saw him in my in the 24-hour fitness once. When really? I was working out there. Your neighbors yeah.
1: with Jesus. Well, that's really,
0: <laughs> I mean, I don't know how close to my house he lives, but it's somewhere in that area, mm-hmm. and or at least at the time he was. I think there there was it's like non nonpareil. There's no parallel to the his performance, in my view.
1: He did very well. Yeah, yeah,
0: and, and doing it in Aramaic, mm-hmm. you know, like a dead language. How do you do that? <laughs> But, uh, but but that's because, to me, in that Jesus film, there was a, uh, a common, a, a, I thought, a perfect balance between the humanity of Christ and this transcendent element that made him bigger than life. Mm. And the guy who did Jesus of Nazareth, sometimes he was just a little bit kind of spiritually weird. Okay. I mean, you know, he's doing a miracle, and so his eyes are rolling back in his head, and his hands are trembling, and he's like, he's tran- trance-like. Mm. And uh, I'm not going to totally fault that, but I, I, I think it's hard to play Jesus right. Sure. I mean, It's a, t- a very tough role. <laughs> yeah. Huh? You, it's hard to follow, you know, the original, <laughs> the real guy, and because, you know, as the soldiers who were sent to arrest him at one time said when they came back empty-handed, nobody speaks <laughs> as this man speaks. Mm. He was he was un, he was phenomenal. So uh, it I think it's always difficult to grasp that balance between the the historical, the the human Jesus and the divine Jesus, and even historically, theologically, there's been a. a, a an emphasis, a different emphasis. The Eastern uh, Church was more uh, of Christology from below, which is emphasized the humanity. The Western Church, Alexandrian, would Christology from above, and they mm-hmm. were more... In, so that's kind of what we've kind of received, a more Christology from above. But I like the first season, too, um, because of this um, th- this humanness that came across in this by this actor, the person of Jesus, that was just... I mean, he was even funny,
1: yeah, you like him, you're attracted to him, yeah. right? Yeah, He's very a uh, magnetic personality, but very kind and th- yeah. that is how Jesus would be.
0: Yeah, you would think. And, and it was also satisfying to see him more with Jesus of Nazareth feet in the dirt kind of thing. Here he is, camping,
1: mm-hmm. stretching, well, co- right? Yeah, stretching, stretching in yeah. the
0: morning, washing his face and uh, cooking food by the fire and who to thunk? <laughs> but, of course, they got to camp, they're going to move around. And same thing with the disciples that are following them. So there are all these this ordinary things of what life must have been like, you know, with these guys. And uh, when they were, in even the second season, you get a lot more of the personalities between the chosen ones, the followers of Jesus that were part of his apostolic band. Um, now, the second season ends with the Sermon on the Mount, so we're still pretty early right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you didn't see the second season, but I have a concern about this. I've talked about it already, but I'll mention it to you. And that's going to be a spoiler. But uh, the, the, uh, but this sense of the the realness and the humanness of Jesus uh, uh, comes across, and I think that's satisfying for us that in the kind of Western tradition of a Christology from above. So he's a real guy. Wow. And like he uh there's one of the disciples is always brushing his teeth every morning. <laughs> we see that in the second there. He's got something and he's brushing his teeth, you know. I mean he doesn't have crest, uh, you know, but he's <laughs> hopefully he's, not, yeah. He's doing something. And uh and then there then there's all this this controversy between these disciples in the second season, which is also kind of interesting because these are a bunch of oddballs that are thrown in together. You got a, you got these fishermen, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're observant Jews. Then you got a zealot. Yeah. And you got Matthew, the tax collector. They
1: would not get along.
0: You've got yeah. the Boragernes, the sons of thunder, you know, that are, uh, you know, making a mess of things and calling down fire from heaven on people. That was James and John, you know, mild and meek John, th- mm-hmm. sons of thunder, right? So <laughs> it, I think the writing was really, really good uh, to kind of bring out uh, these interesting aspects of the personalities of these disciples. When you're doing a show, now we've got, let's see, it's eight sessions, right, in mm-hmm. a season— And one-hour sessions, I think. So you got you got sixteen hours of the life of Jesus that just gets you to the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew five. Yeah. (laughs) So we got you got to do a lot of creative work, you know, to fill in the spaces. You run out of verses real quickly, right? So, um, but uh, but what ended up happening in the second season is uh, you, I think, they really lost the transcended Christ completely, especially in the last couple episodes, and then as he's preparing to do the Sermon on the Mount, he's trying to figure out what to say, he's having trouble, he's got writer's block, he has Matthew help him out to structure his sermon and choose the right, I mean, please, and then you've got a, like a Woodstock-like scene, at the end where he then goes on this platform, they part the curtains and he stands up there and he speaks to all the people. It's, it's really crazy. Okay. So that's the spoiler. And that's the last episode of the season. Um, but, uh, anyway, you know, you eat the meat and throw away the bones. Um, here's my, one concern that was raised though, and this is something I want to speak to. Uh, to at least update people a bit. I, I do like the actor. I like the character as far as it goes. But when you lose the transcendence of Christ, he just becomes a clever, nice guy. Hmm. Um, and, and even, by the way, they also had Jesus healing. You know how he's healing? He went into a little tent booth that they made and people stood in a line. Oh, really? Yeah. Not like it was out in public? No, he was in public, but he was—he just—he was—he was like a doctor who saw people. Okay, huh. next, next, they walk in and they walk away, and they're jumping and re- re- walking and leaping and praising God. Right? Okay, next, and you got all these people in line, and the disciples are waiting for him. Man, it's really dark. He's still working. That's kind yeah, of yeah. He just got
1: to keep. I, it's so That's weird. That's very weird where they pulled that from.
0: It, I, it's, it just, yeah, it's. And, so I'm going to keep watching it. Sure. And we'll see what happens. And there are some edifying aspects. But uh, I, I, one concern, though, people have raised. Have you heard about the, the Mormon connection? I've heard about that a What's lot, What's your actually? understanding?
1: Well, I've heard a lot of people saying, you know, Dallas Jenkins has gotten in with a Mormon production company. The yeah, director, right? Yeah, the director of, of uh, The Chosen. That he's gotten in with a Mormon production company. And that it's, it's Mormon, and the Mormons are funding it, and the Mormons are helping produce it. And so, therefore, Christians shouldn't watch it. Hmm.
3: What that's do you what think I've about heard.
1: That? Well, I, I don't think that follows. I, I think it's kind of a genetic fallacy type thing. Oh, that's good. You're um, right. I agree. And too. there's no well, Mormon theology being taught in it, as far as I've seen. And I've only seen the first season. No, right. And I, I, even through the second season, I
0: don't see it either. Um, but. Uh, but there are definitely what, Mormon theology regarding the person of Christ. Do you know much about that? You do, I do. Yeah, I you know, know a lot
1: about Mormonism. So,
0: tell uh, uh, what what's the basic Christology that Mormonism teaches?
1: The Christology is he is not uh, divine in the sense that we think he's divine. He's not the second person of the Trinity. He is a created being who is fathered by Heavenly Father, who was also a human being in the far distant past and achieved godhood. And Jesus is our older brother, and mm. that all of us preexisted as souls prior to coming here in bodies.
0: When you say our older brother, you mean this in a, in a, in a, a literal sense, in a that, literal that we sense. are the same kinds of beings, all uh, uh, progenitors, the producer, we're the offspring of a progenitor, we are all... The offspring of a same parents that yeah. then uh, so Jesus is not only the, uh, the li- literally the spirit brother of each of us but also the spirit brother of Lucifer because yes. Lucifer is the same kind of being ontologically the essential nature of that being
1: as we are and so are all demons. And so are demons. Yep. Okay. And on so this Jesus field. is our oldest brother in what they call the pre-existence or the first estate. Mm-hmm. And um, this is we,
0: why Mormons have lots of kids because they're getting all these spirit babies, spirit babies out of the pre-existence, out of the the spiritual realm, and into human bodies.
1: Yep, so that we can work to become our own God of our own planet. Okay. So Jesus had a good plan in the pre-existence of how the program should work on this planet that Heavenly Father liked. And Lucifer had a different plan... Heavenly Father goes with Jesus' plan, which makes Lucifer mad, and he rebels, and, and a lot of our brothers and sisters in the pre rebelled. Mm-hmm. And those were made into demons. Mm-hmm. And then um, then we were born here so that we can do Mormonism and achieve godhood, and Jesus mm-hmm. is our leader and mm-hmm. our example. Okay, so with that
0: Christology in mind, and maybe to, to summarize it really sim- quickly, is that Jesus... Is a human just like us Mm -hmm. who then accomplishes divinity just like we can. Yes. And the difference between Jesus and you and I is Jesus has done it and we haven't done it yet. That's right. Okay. So that means would that be a low Christology or a high or a Christology from above or a Christology from below? Below. Yeah. My my they start with they it's even worse than the the, the Christology because the Christology the Antiochian Christology from below still acknowledged the the genuine inherent <laughs> divinity of Christ. This doesn't divinity is something to be accomplished. Now, with that in mind, um and I'm on the lookout for this this is why i mentioned stories or accounts or movies about jesus do no harm that's the key thing uh whether or not what's being depicted here and what i see in this film aside from whatever sources are involved in the writing and amy has said that evangelicals are writing the script okay i'm i'm cool with that but it is a very human Jesus, and this is especially true in the second in the second uh, uh, episode. But a, as to the Mormon connection, and I think you're right about the genetic fallacy. In, in my mind, uh, if Mormons wrote it, I don't care who wrote it, as long as it's right.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All right, um, there was a there's been controversy about Hillsong, and I encountered somebody who raised this issue in the church I was at this last weekend. Well, Hillsong, they got you know. Some shabby things going on. They got yeah. some f- funky theology. And so we shouldn't be singing their songs. And I said, okay, what about the Godoxology? And I just praise God for a moment, All blessings flow. You know, I sang this to him, right? You know, briefly, it's a short thing. And I said, is that good? Is that glorify God? Oh, yeah. What if the devil wrote it? Oh, we can't sing it. Wait a minute. You just told me it glorifies God. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: How does it not glorify God, those exact same words, if the devil wrote it? Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter who wrote it. It matters what it says. That's right. And I think this is your point about genetic fallacy. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: And it doesn't matter where it came from. It's Genesis. It matters what it says. And so I don't care when it comes to chosen. I don't care if a whole bunch of Mormons wrote this thing. And it turns out to be really biblically solid. But here's the uh, piece that I just had sent to me, and look at the clock, we're tight on time for the show. So let me just read it closely. It says the Chosen headline here by Michael Faust. uh, The Chosen is not, quote, produced by Mormons, close quote, uh, the series Facebook says. So the article is simply this. The official Facebook of the viral series, hit series Chosen, um, uh, says it's not produced by members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints. We are not produced by Mormons, quote unquote. That's what the post said. Um, drew a lot of comments, uh, but uh, it was addressing a topic that circulated on host social media recent months. Um, a chosen, a product of Angel Studios' this crowdfunded television series about the life of Jesus and his disciples. The second season was released this year. Okay, it says the Facebook post. A kind of humorous in tone. Uh, it included a screenshot of a critical comment that had multiple grammatical errors. The comment touching on the Mormon issue and urging people to be very careful in watching it. Uh, we're not anti-Christian. We're not produced by Mormons. The official Facebook page says we're, we're, but we're, but we're going out on a limb. And guess there was a typo. Which wouldn't be surprising as most of our hate comments aren't written by English majors. They, uh, that said, go ahead and be very careful with us. That advice is solid. Now that that's a little snarky, I think. Yeah. And notice it—it it is characterizing a criti- a concern about the the origin and therefore maybe the content as hate. I don't like that, Robbie. Just because somebody disagrees with you, even if they're mistaken on matters of fact, doesn't mean they're pushing hate. No. And so this is an attempt to simply, a part of the attempt here is to label this hate so as to dismiss it. I think they'd be better
1: off to say, no, we're not produced by Mormons. End of issue. Mm-hmm. Clarify it. Yeah, just say that. We're not, that's not the case. Well, and I don't know if you've seen, but The chosen has done a really weird marketing tactic where they're putting up billboards and then they're graffitiing them. Have you seen this? No. To make it look like somebody else is graffitiing oh, over The Chosen, then, but they're not. Yeah. And, and so it's just... I wonder how much of this also is marketing or tactical just to cause uh, who knows? A buzz. Who knows?
0: Well, Dallas Jenkins, the director, says he's an evangelical. Okay. Uh, they don't get funding from Angel Studios. Uh, they don't get any funding from any organization, much less a religious organization. They have LDS members within Angel Studios, but uh, the studio is a distribution partner, but they don't actually fund it. Mm. Jenkins says, I'm an evangelical, I consider myself a conservative evangelical, I believe in the Bible, it's God's holy word, it's the inerrant word of Scripture, but of course mm-hmm. this is the same thing that Mormons say. Now, I'm not putting that on him, but I'm just saying, sure. that alone doesn't, you know, I take him at his word, okay? Well,
1: and it is, it has been crowdfunded since the beginning. Yeah,
0: okay. so That is how they funded the right, project. Right, right. Um, uh, Jenkins emphasized, he is responsible for the content of The Chosen. Those who are involved in the show, who are LDS, or Catholic, or any other faith tradition would be the first to tell you they have absolutely zero input into the content itself. Uh, I'm making a Jesus show, Jenkins said. I'm pointing people towards Jesus. I'll let the Holy Spirit uh, and I'll let the discipleship of the local church do the job of nuancing all those kinds of large-scale or even small-scale disagreements. Well, I, I take him at his word. Mm-hmm. I have no reason to think otherwise. I think he's done a, a fair defense, uh, so I'm not going to characterize this as somehow having a illicit Uh, influenced by LDS churches. I am concerned about the implicit theology or Christology that comes across here, which is a very low Christology so far. And the silliness of the way the season ended, oh, it's just, uh, he had a reason for doing that. He said, you can watch a different video. We talked about it. I'm not going to do that. I just saw it. And I said, this ain't good. So, uh, if in
1: the third season, though, Jesus comes to America and starts preaching to the Nephites <laughs> now, then, and the Lamanites,
0: then we know. That's a red we? flag. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's a funny note to end on, <laughs> uh, Robbie Lashua. And I thank you for being part of the team with Thanks me today. Thanks for having me, Greg. Yeah. yeah. And that's it for our show, friends. Uh, Greg Kokel here on Stand to Reason. You give them heaven this week. Bye-bye now.